Thank you, Dan, and the music team for the wonderful time of uh, praising our Lord, who truly is worthy of all of our praise. This morning, we're uh, continuing our series in the book of um, Revelation. We're going to be talking about some very um, critical topics, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the mark of the beast. And just uh, by way of review, uh, we've been going through, through the book of Revelation. We're now in chapter 13, but one of the things we've seen that's very prominent is the number seven. Uh, we've seen seven churches in, the, in chapters two and three, uh, seven seal, seal judgments, and then seven trumpet judgments. And so now we're in a section in chapters 12 and 13 where we see seven key personages, or Jim Callahan said uh, last week, seven actors, and he did a very good job of introducing us to five of those. Um, last week, we saw the, the woman uh, representing Israel, uh, the dragon representing Satan, uh, the man-child of the woman re referring to Christ, Michael representing the angels, and uh, Israel, the persecuted faithful remnant. And so this morning, we're going to see the last two of those actors, uh, the beast coming out of the sea and a beast coming out of the earth. What do you think of when you, th you hear the word uh, beast? Um, I, <clears throat> I was thinking about that this last week and, and I, I asked my daughter, uh, Anna, what do you think of when you think of the word beast? And being a young teenage girl, I thought her, her answer might be something having to do with a, a romantic story like Beauty and the Beast. Um, silly me. Uh, she said, no, I'm not really thinking about that. And she says, I, I'm thinking of the word beast mode. Beast <laughs> mode. And I thought, I have nev I've never heard of that. What is, what, is, what is beast mode? It's amazing what you can learn from your teenage kids. So I had to go home and look it up. <clears throat> uh, and the definition of beast mode means it's an aggressive animalistic persona that one might assume when in a competition or combat. So here's an example of someone who's, who's in beast mode. She is ready for competition and combat, whatever may come her way. Uh, here's another example. You may, have wake, you may wake up someday feeling like you're in beast mode if it's a tough Monday morning. Um, so, beast mode. <laughs> uh, when it comes to Bible prophecy, I think we're dealing with something much more serious and sinister than a beast mode. <laughs> uh, so, actually, in our, our chapter this, this morning, in chapter 13, we're going to see the word beast mentioned 16 times in one chapter. And we'll see two of the beasts that are mentioned in the chapter, a beast coming out of the sea and a, geese, a beast coming out of the earth. Um, so we'll start with the beast that comes out of the sea. If you look at Revelation 13, verse 1, it says, The dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his head were blasphemous names. So John saw this beast coming out of the sea, some believe the sea is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea. 
Uh, and perhaps this ruler, this beast, may be come, come from the Mediterranean area. Uh, other people feel that the sea can represent uh, the abyss. Um, and that re refers back to uh, Revelation 11.7, where there was another reference to the beast that comes out of the abyss that will make war with them. So either way, this monstrous beast is not the kind of thing you want to see in your dreams. Uh, it's your worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, he's described as having seven heads, ten horns with ten crowns on the horns. And most, most commentators believe this is a, a symbolic of a revived Roman empire that exists in a ten-nation form. Uh, so the ten crowns or ten diadems would be symbols of governmental authority. The seven heads could be seven phases of uh, successive governments in that time period or could rep represent simultaneous kings that have been subdued by this beast. And on his head were blasphemous names. Uh, whatever those names are, they, they communicate blasphemy and opposition against God and the Lord Jesus. So verse 2 says, The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like those of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And so this description reminds us of beasts that were prophesied by Daniel thousands and thousands of years ago in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, like a leopard, um, that would be symbolic of, of the nation of Greece. It would be swift to conquer like Alexander the Great was. Uh, like a bear, symbolic of Medo-Persia, strong and powerful. Like a lion, symbolic of Babylon, devouring its prey. Uh, so the beast from the sea is, is going to be symbolic of a revived empire that's going to combine the elements of all these previous uh, empires. So who is this beast? Uh, it harkens back again to, to, to the prophet Daniel in Daniel 7. He's the little horn that Daniel prophesied who would come. Uh, we see the description of him. He's, Daniel says, After I kept looking in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. While it was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. So we see this little horn had the capability of subduing these other rulers, with eyes like eyes of a man, perhaps a highly intelligent being, and a mouth that was very boastful, uttering great boasts. There's a further description later in the chapter. The fourth, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. So different from the, the previous kingdoms of Greece and uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia. Um, it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of, <clears throat> out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them. He will be different from the previous ones. He will subdue three of them. He'll speak out against the Most High. 
and wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. They'll be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So here we see a description of this little horn, which most commentators feel is the Antichrist. He will rise to power by subduing three of the ten kings, and the others will submit to him. And in verse 25 it says, He'll blaspheme God, he'll wear down the saints, and he'll try to make changes in times and laws. He's going to set his own moral agenda. Uh, his persecution is going to last for a time, times, and half a time. In our series we've decided that is referring to a time of three and a half years. And most believe this will be the three and a half years at the second part of the tribulation. So where does this beast get his power? Uh, in verse 2 of the second part, it says, The dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So this ruler rises to this amount of power, not through a shrewd political campaign or because of his own abilities. Uh, it's because of a, a supernatural origin to his power coming from the dragon who is Satan himself. He'll give the beast his power, his throne, and his authority. And, and we believe Paul refers to this in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 uh, when he refers to the lawless one, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. He's able to do counterfeit miracles and signs. So the question is, why, why would Satan give this power to the Antichrist? Uh, and we need to realize Satan is a fallen angel. He's a, a spirit being. Uh, so he doesn't have a body of flesh and blood. So that's why he and his demons will often be seen uh, indwelling or uh, t taking on uh, flesh and blood in order to carry out their purposes. Um, so he's the one empowering the Antichrist to force people to worship him. Uh, and this has been his agenda from the beginning, is to rob God of worship and to claim that worship for himself. Uh, the prophet Isaiah talked about that in Isaiah 14, talking about Satan. He said, How you've fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. And so this has been Satan's agenda from the beginning, to steal the glory and worship that's due to God and take it for himself. We saw that in the New Testament uh, when the Lord Jesus was taken into the, the wilderness and tempted by Satan um, in Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to Christ, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So during the tribulation, Satan is going to continue this agenda to seek worship for himself and set up a false religious system 
where he will be the focus, he and the Antichrist. Uh, we'll see a counterfeit God, uh, Satan, and a counterfeit son, uh, the Antichrist, that's given the power and authority of Satan. We go back to verse 3 of uh, Revelation 13. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. So there's been many uh, speculations about this fatal wound being healed and who this ruler could be and trying to attribute it to some uh, historic person. What do we mean by this fatal wound being healed? Uh, there's basically two interpretations of that. Uh, one is that the, the former Roman Empire, uh, which has died out, is miraculously revived in the last days. Uh, this final, another interpretation is the final world ruler receives a wound which normally would be fatal, but is miraculously healed by Satan. I think it's unlikely that Satan has the ability to, to raise someone from the dead, uh, but I think it's possible he could heal a wound like this that appeared to be fatal and then was healed. It could be a combination of both, both a revived Roman Empire that's headed by a, a world ruler that does recover from what looked like to be a fatal wound. Uh, and the result is, because of this, the whole world is going to follow after uh, this beast. Verse 4 says, They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? We can see how powerful the influence of this world ruler is. Uh, this is idolatry at its worst. Uh, so strong and convincing is this delusion to follow after the beast. The whole world is going to say, who else is like him? There's none other like him. Um, so this isn't the worship of a, you know, a small wooden or metal little statue. Uh, this is the worship of Satan himself. Um, and as we said earlier, this, is Satan, this has been Satan's desire from the beginning. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. He opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And so here's Satan, who's the ultimate source of uh, rebellion against God. He's going to fill the Antichrist's mouth with arrogant, profane, sacrilegious speech directed against God. And he will do this for 42 months, or the th again, the three and a half years that were prophesied in Daniel 7 that marks the, the midpoint of the, of the tribulation. Uh, so... We believe this Antichrist is going to begin to uh, rise in power at the, uh, the start of, annual, of Daniel's 70th week when he makes a firm covenant uh, with Israel. Uh, but his role as a, rule, a, a world ruler is going to be manifested uh, halfway through the tribulation when he uh, breaks that covenant with Israel and unleashes his wrath on the world. Uh, this blasphemy that's talked about here, this isn't just a slip of the tongue, uh, oh my God, kind of thing. You know, he is, his mouth is just filled with uh, arrogant, profane, 
sacrilegious blasphemy against God. And Jesus said it well. He says, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Verse 7 says, it was given to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. Um, so he's going to be given this, the Antichrist will be given authority to wage war against the saints, to persecute them. Uh, and actually, we see a prelude to that today, don't we? I mean, the persecution of Christianity continues, especially in countries, um, uh, Muslim countries and communist countries. But the, the, the shocking thing is this is happening even in, uh, even in the West, where we assume there's religious freedom a recent example of that was um, reported by Tony Perkins. Uh, he said, hostility to religion and free speech are increasing across the globe. Uh, he said, consider the current situation in Finland, where a parliament member, Paivi Rasanan's articulation of her biblical views on marriage and sexuality have put her on trial for hate speech. What, does she look like a hater? This, this, this wonderful lady, she's a soft-spoken 62-year-old grandmother, a medical doctor. She saw her own Christian denomination drifting away from its roots, and so she tweeted about, tweeted about it, and, and she used a Bible verse uh, talking about sexuality. She used the word sin, and for that, she could end up spending two years in jail, which is just um, hard to believe. Actually, the outcome of that case could be coming up this week. Um, and if she is convicted and, and jailed, this could begin the, uh, uh, the criminalization of Christianity in Finland, and it could spread to other countries as well. And so the Antichrist is going to be given authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. Uh, you know, many rulers down through the world have dreamed of conquering the world uh, megalomaniacs that wanted to, to take over the whole world, the Antichrist will finally have that ability. Uh, it'll be a time of intense persecution against believers. Uh, verse, uh, verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who's been slain. Um, so one of the characteristics of this one world religion is that it'll, it'll be what we call ecumenical, meaning that all religions will unite. And there's actually an ecumenical movement uh, today that's growing uh, that wants to put all beliefs kind of in one, under one umbrella, whether Muslim, Jewish, Christian, uh, Hinduism, uh, shamans, snake charmers, tree huggers, you know, the whole group <laughs> are going to be wanting to worship together. That goal of a one world church will be realized during the tribulation. Uh, that's a movement that true Christian believers now and in the future will want to avoid. Uh, so those who worship the Antichrist will be uh, unsaved folks whose names are not written in the book of life. So what is this book of life? Um, there's two interpretations of the names in the Lamb's book of life. Um, one is that the book of life originally contained the names of every living person. 
uh, but the names of unbelievers are blotted out when they die. Um, that, a basis for that comes from Revelation 3.5 where Christ promised believers in, in Sardis that their names would not be erased from the book of life. I, I, I lean more toward the second interpretation that believers have had their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world and they're saved based on the atoning death of Christ. So a, a good question for us this morning is, do I know, do I know is my name written in that book? How can you know? Well, if, you've, if you hear the gospel and turn from your sin and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, so we see Christ speaking uh, to, to the churches. Um, in the next verse, he says, if anyone has an ear, uh, let him hear. Um, and that's a, a phrase that we see repeated in the Gospels, and especially here in the book of Revelation. Uh, when Christ was speaking to the seven churches, uh, he said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, you know, the older you get, <clears throat> the harder it is to hear. And uh, I know the elders rejoice the day I got my hearing aids in our meetings. <laughs> Uh, the Lord, when he speaks to us, he wants us to hear and understand what he's saying. Uh, interesting, here in Revelation 13, that phrase, to the churches, is not mentioned. And many see that, om that omission as an indicator that the church has been raptured. Uh, and so this invitation in Revelation 13 is to anyone who will listen. And I, I think especially it will be directed to those in the tribulation who have a chance to read a Bible or hear these scriptures spoken to them, it will be an opportunity for them to hear the gospel and trust the Lord, even during the tribulation. Verse 10 says, If anyone is destined to captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. And again, there's two interpretations of this. Um, the first is that this, this could be an exhortation to believers to, to just patiently hang in there, endure persecution from the Antichrist with perseverance and faith uh, in the Lord. Uh, but another interpretation, one that I, that I favor, is that um, <clears throat> that phrase, uh, is destined, is, is in italics, which means it, it wasn't in the original manuscript so it could be it could read if anyone is for is anyone is for captivity to captivity he goes if anyone kills with a sword he must be killed um, so the idea is those who captivate the saints they will be captivated those who kill the saints they will be killed uh, so this is uh, indicating that God will take vengeance on those who persecute his people and that sh that would give a sense of perseverance uh, and faith uh, to the saints. So in these first 10 verses, we see a description of this beast that comes out of the sea. The Antichrist, he will rise to power. He will rule the whole world. He will, he will draw worship, compel worship uh, from the whole world as well. And to do that, uh, he will have the help and support of the second beast, uh, this beast that comes 
out of the earth. We see that in verses 11 to 18. So John says, I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. So in contrast to the first beast who came out of the sea, this beast will come out of the earth. He's a creature of the earth. He's not a creature of heaven. Uh, some believe he may come from underneath the earth, the abyss of the earth, controlled by demonic forces. And later we'll see in Revelation 16, 19, and 20 that he's called the false prophet. So he's the lieutenant, he's the right-hand man, he's the spokesman for the Antichrist. Uh, he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. You know, if you, I know my wife and my daughters love to take that hike up to uh, San Antonio Park and, and see the, um, the, the little animals that are there. That, and one of the cutest things to see is a little lamb. And if you look at that small lamb and talks about two horns, they're really just little bumps uh, on his head. So um, he's not like the ten-horned beast that came from the sea. Uh, he, it makes him appear to be very gentle and, and winsome and harmless. Um, but though he's, though he's gentle as a lamb, it says he speaks like a dragon. Uh, the, false prophet, the false prophet is going to be the dragon's mouthpiece. Uh, his, uh, Satan's propaganda secretary speaking and empowered by Satan. So he may appear to be gentle, uh, diplomatic, maybe even religious. He may be a religious leader. But when he speaks, he will speak ruthless, blasphemous words uh, against the Lord. So this second beast, the beast uh, coming out of the earth, uh, he's going to be able to exercise all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. Uh, so not only will he be a spokesman for the Antichrist, he'll be given authority by the Antichrist to and use that power and authority and influence to cause those who dwell on the earth to worship the Antichrist. Verse 13 says he'll be able to perform great signs so that he, he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. So I think something that's important for us to remember is not, not all signs and miracles are from the Lord. Uh, Satan is going to have that power. The Antichrist will have the power to do miracles. Um, if we think back to the book of, Mo, uh, the book of Exodus, uh, when Moses was doing his miracles, um, Pharaoh's magicians were able to mimic them, at least to some extent. Uh, and here, if this, if this uh, false prophet is able to call down fire from heaven, kind of reminiscent of uh, Elijah doing that on Mount Carmel, uh, he's, Satan is going to empower this false prophet uh, to have this kind of miraculous uh, power. Verse 14 says, He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword that has come to life. Uh, so we, we see the, the, the whole purpose of this false prophet is to deceive the earth. 
by performing these miracles. Uh, he's going to be able to convince people uh, to, to worship the beast and the image of that beast. Uh, and that image may not be a, a replica of the beast. It may be just something symbolic of his authority, uh, similar to uh, the huge statue that Nebuchadnezzar built. Um, it was a, a, a sign of a power and authority. And we're going to see references to the beast and his image throughout the rest of Revelation. Uh, in Revelation 14, 15, 16, 19, and 20, we'll see that phrase, the image of the beast. Uh, so the repeated references to that uh, are important because it's, it will be the focus of false worship and idolatry to the Antichrist. Goes on in verse 15, says, There was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Uh, so it seems like this passage is saying the false prophet's going to be able to make this image uh, appear like it's speaking uh, and breathing. Um, I don't know if, you know, if you've been to Disneyland and you visit some of the exhibits there, they have what they call uh, audio animatronics, uh, where you have uh, robots that can talk and move, and they look pretty realistic. Uh, and so I'm not, I'm not sure this will be what the Antichrist used. Uh, I, I think it may even be a demon-inspired uh, image, uh, supernaturally controlled, that will somehow convince the masses uh, to worship uh, this image. Uh, and it will be used to draw millions in worship to the Antichrist. Um, so basically what we have here with, with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet is what we could call an unholy counterfeit trinity. Uh, Satan is the counterfeit father, Antichrist a counterfeit son, and the false prophet a counterfeit helper in total contrast uh, to the Holy Trinity. And so the, the power and authority that the Antichrist and his false prophet wields are such that if you don't worship him, you will be killed. Uh, so this is persecution uh, at its worst. And then in the last few verses, we get into a subject that I think has been of interest to people for, for many, many years. And that is the, the sign of the beast. Uh, verse 16, he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Uh, so the false prophet is going to issue some kind of worldwide decree requiring that everyone, uh, whether you're rich, poor, small, great, slave or free, to be given a mark on your right hand or on your forehead. And if you think about it, those two locations, um, the, the hand and the forehead, are the easiest places on the body to be either be visible uh, or to be scanned. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years here with the pandemic, if you walk into a building and they want to check your temperature, they just can do it immediately by scanning your forehead. Uh, if your temperature is okay, you can walk in. If not, you're denied access. Um, the right hand is another uh, spot on our body that can be easily uh, scanned. And it's interesting, there is technology being developed today 
uh, that will allow people to get uh, microchips uh, inserted into their hand. Uh, that's happening in Sweden. Uh, over the last few years, some Swedish workers have volunteered to have microchips implanted in their hands so they no longer have to carry cash, uh, an ID, uh, your keys, your gym pass. Uh, they're gaining popularity in Sweden and are being used as COVID passports as well. Um, so could this kind of technology be used by the Antichrist? Um, that's a possibility. It goes on to say the implications of this mark. It says in verse 17, he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Uh, so during the tribulation, this mark, whatever it is, is going to have um, far-reaching implications. It'll be a sign that the person is a worshiper of the beast. And without that mark, you won't be able to buy or to sell, to engage in business or commerce. Uh, it'll be pretty, a pretty desperate situation. How are you going to be able to live if you don't have that mark? Uh, so what's the mark of the beast? <laughs> uh, that's a question that's been the source of speculation for, for generations. Uh, it says it's either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So it appears there's a relationship between the name of the beast and a number associated with his name. So the last verse, uh, verse 18, says, Here's wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast. The number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So the number six has often been associated with man. And uh, one of the theories is that um, you can find 666 on, uh, on a universal price code. Uh, whenever you're buying an item in the store, uh, some say perhaps this could be the precursor of, of the mark of the beast. Um, I, it's hard to imagine that being pasted on your forehead or on your, uh, on your, on your hand. Uh, I think as long as the, the UPC code stays on a loaf of bread and not on your head, uh, it should be, will be okay. Um, uh, some believe that the Apostle John was sending a coded message to believers using 666 to identify the beast. Uh, there have been all kinds of speculation and attempts to calculate that number of the beast. And here's one, one approach. Uh, people assign various numbers to, this is actually the Hebrew uh, alphabet. And one of the earliest candidates for the beast was uh, Emperor Nero. Uh, and, and, and some feel that the Apostle John was writing warning believers that uh, Nero or succeeding Caesars could be the Antichrist. Um, and down through time, other sus suspects have been uh, people like Hitler, uh, Mussolini, Stalin, um, even Henry Kissinger. I'm not sure how he fits in there. Um, but there's been all sorts of speculation as to who uh, the beast is and who the, what the mark of the beast is. There's a man named James Hamilton. He's a, a professor of theology at a, a Baptist theological seminary. He says, in biblical symbolism... The number seven represents completeness or perfection. Uh, true completeness and perfection was only achieved 
by the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's the one who is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he says if Jesus had a symbolic number, he feels it would be 777. Uh, so by assigning 666 as the number of the beast, being the number of man, it falls short from the perfection of Christ. And so the, he feels that the, the, the 666 is a warning of Christians to beware of a cheap imitation of Christ himself. You know, it's interesting in the book of Revelation that John doesn't use the, the term antichrist, uh, but we do see that in his epistles. Uh, in 1 John 2.18, he refers to the antichrist. He says, children, it's the last hour, and just as you've heard that antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have arisen and from, from this we know that it's the last hour. So what does he mean by the last hour? It's another term for the last days, which actually we're living in now. It's the period between Christ's first and second coming. And so the apostle warned his readers of the coming of the Antichrist, that many would exhibit his characteristics of deception and false teaching. Actually, the Lord Jesus had, this, the, Lord Jesus had the same warning in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, he said, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. And that's been borne out. There are many people who have claimed to be Jesus Christ. So in view of that coming deception, um, John has a warning for us in 1 John 4. Uh, he says, beloved, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So there's a good test for us. And when you're talking with someone, just ask the question, what do you think of Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Um, John goes on to say, this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard that it's coming and now is already in the world. That's an interesting phrase, that the spirit of Antichrist is already operative in the world today. But he says, you're from God, little children. You've overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's a, that's a great comfort uh, for us. As we think about, we think about these end times events and the coming of the Antichrist, it's, it's reassuring to know that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that indwells a believer, is greater than the Spirit of Antichrist or any of his uh, demons. So what are some, some takeaways uh, for us? Uh, I think the first is to realize the Antichrist is and the false prophet are coming, and they're going to come with great signs and wonders that will be able to deceive the whole world. If you think about the implications of that, it's just mind-boggling. Um, he says we need to be on guard against the spirit of the Antichrist, which is already in the world. So many today are looking for satisfaction. They're looking for fulfillment or perhaps even escapes. And in doing so, they can be led, they can be easily deceived and end up uh, following after someone or some uh, particular faith that promises fulfillment 
and ends up really being the worship of a false god. Uh, it's human nature to worship. That's the way we're made. <laughs> and it's tragic when we end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Uh, Christ is the only one who can truly satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. He's the only savior and the best of masters. So there's a need to be on guard of that spirit of Antichrist. Thirdly, we need to be discerning. Uh, John tells us don't believe every, every spirit. Uh, we need to test the spirits. And especially this, this whole uh, realm of signs and wonders and people claiming to have miraculous powers. Uh, that's not the standard of truth. Performing a miracle is not the standard of truth. Why? We've seen even that unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet have the ability to do miracles. Um, so what's our standard? Uh, praise God, it's the unchanging word of God um, that we need to examine constantly. As, as Paul exhorted the, uh, those in Thessalonians, he said, we want to be like the Bereans who receive the word with great eagerness and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. So praise the Lord, we have that standard to turn to. And lastly, Paul tells us to examine everything carefully and to hold fast to that which is good. We don't want to be um, gullible and be lulled into a false religion or a false hope. Uh, praise God for the sure hope that we have uh, in him. Well, let's pray. Lord, as we have been thinking about these things, these um, terrifying events that are going to unfold, unfold during the, uh, the tribulation, our, our hearts go out to those who don't know you, uh, to the unsaved. We would hate to see any of our friends or loved ones go through this horrible time of deception and false worship and persecution. So Lord, help us to reach out to those around us uh, to share the truth of the gospel you said, Lord, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Lord, in a, in a world that's filled with deception and lies, uh, help us, Lord, to examine everything carefully, uh, to hold fast to what is good, to be discerning, to filter all that we see and hear through the lens of your word. And we just thank you that it truly is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Uh, thank you for the sure hope we have in your son and the prospect of being with him forever. Uh, help us, Lord, to live in light of that hope uh, each day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.